Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. Good morning, church. It's good to see all of you here today. And we are doing a series going through the Gospel of Luke. And we're at this section of the Gospel of Luke that is the Lord's Prayer. And so we're taking a few weeks to look specifically at praying. And if you were here last week, you know we did something a little different. And we're going to continue doing that over the next four weeks, like today being one of them and three weeks after that. Um, But this section on the Lord's Prayer is where Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And then today we are going to pray. And over the next today and three more weeks, we are going to pray following this model. So uh, just like last week, what we'll do is we'll take the last 10 minutes of my sermon time today, and we'll just turn in circles or however you want to do, turn around in your chairs, and we'll break up into uh, groups of five, seven, 10, whatever uh, you would like, break up into groups and pray together. Now, uh, there are prayer guides that are in the seat in front of you, and those are broken up into three sections. So if you're somebody who is comfortable praying in a group, um, then that prayer guide, that first section is for you, and there are prompts in that prayer guide for how to pray in those groups. The second section is for if you're an individual and you would rather not pray out loud, that's fine, or if you would rather even not uh, sit as a part of a group, that's fine. So that middle section has things that you can pray uh, to yourself um, as, a, as an individual. And then the third section is, uh, indicates it's for non-Christians. And if you're not a Christian or if you're just not sure, you're welcome. I'm glad to have you here today. And our desire for you is to be able to know Jesus Christ and to have your sins forgiven and to know what it means to be redeemed and to be a part of the family of God, the people of God. And so that... Um, that section uh, has some things that you can reflect on during our prayer time. So we want you to be able to, uh, to participate uh, meaningfully in that way. Nobody's required to pray out loud. Uh, so if, you're, you know, if you don't want to, if you're a group, if you have an entire group that sits silently for 10 minutes, totally fine. Um, there'll be some house music playing that will kind of not make it sound awkward. So it's totally fine. Uh, but we just want to take some time to pray together. One last thing, we have um, some folks that will be available during that time to pray for anybody who has something that you would like to receive prayer for. Um, So uh, Steve and Bobby Freeburn, um, they will be up here up front, and Peter Townsend. Uh, You can bring Rachel if you'd like um, to to pray. Uh, But we have uh, uh, two, um, several individuals that will be up front. So just just during that time, feel free to come forward, and um, they can pray for you however you need. Oh, one last thing. Shout out to our Thursday morning prayer call, which is led by Peter Townsend. Um, so the Thursday morning prayer call, I want to I keep hammering this over the next few weeks so you can remember it. Um, Thursday morning, 6.30 to 7.30. It's a wonderful time, and the link to that is on our website. So go to ctkcincy.com, and the link for that is on the website. Okay, so what I want to do now is to begin our time by praying the Lord's Prayer together. If you would, if you're able, um, stand, and we'll pray this together. This is the traditional version from Matthew's Gospel and the King James. So this is the version that hopefully is most familiar. Let's pray this together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Just like last week, we're going to just break these up into little, tiny, tiny, little microscopic bits. And we're going to look at it word, a word at a time. The first phrase, or a phrase at a time, the first phrase is your kingdom. Your kingdom. As I mentioned before, the Lord's Prayer consists of five petitions. And these petitions can be thought of as categories of prayer or buckets that give you a topic that you can fill up with your own prayers. So the second petition where we are today is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Luke's version just has the first three words, your kingdom come, and he moves on. Matthew's version, he records more of the whole petition. So I'm going to start with Luke's and then we'll We'll uh, cover all of Matthew's also. So Jesus tells us to pray for this. Pray for this. Pray your kingdom come. We're asking God for something. We're asking for his kingdom to come. We're asking God to bring his kingdom reality to us. What does that mean? Not only that, like what, what is the kingdom? You know, what are we praying for when we're praying for his kingdom to come? You may know that Jesus' favorite preaching theme is the kingdom of God. They talked about the kingdom of God more than anything else. And that's important because there's a story behind those words. The kingdom of God is a a reference to the plan of God. It, It is a story that is the story of God's kingdom. And that's the story of the Bible, a story of God's kingdom that was lost and reclaimed. So it goes like this. Whenever God created the world... Back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, whenever God created the world, he put a human king over the world to rule over it. This king was created to rule the earth on God's behalf, and the whole world was God's world, and he had a human king to rule over his world. That king's name was Adam. So Adam, we know him, he rebelled against God. We saw this in Genesis chapter 3. And Adam sinned against God. He sinned. He rebelled against his high king, against his Lord. And because of that rebellion, the whole earth that was put under his care, now the whole earth fell with Adam. It fell into sin with him. The whole world fell in this rebellion. And the result was that it, the whole world was put under the power of Satan, who, who, uh, who tempted Adam and Eve, and they fell into sin. But God loves his people. God loved his people. He loved Adam and Eve, and he did not want to just abandon them or, or torch the place. He wanted to redeem it. He wanted to save them. He was committed to reclaiming his kingdom and restoring what was lost, and so he determined to defeat Satan and the power of evil, to forgive human beings for their sin, and that was going to be a very long project to, to, to carry it out. But in the fullness of time, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who was God himself, He was God, but he was in human form. He was fully human, but fully divine. So God became a human man. And in this way, Jesus could be said to be the second Adam. He is a new Adam. He is is a new king that will succeed where Adam, the first Adam, failed. 
So as the divine son, the heavenly king, he is the one that was, he invaded this world to reclaim God's kingdom. And that's what he did. Jesus reclaimed God's kingdom. And whenever he preached and he taught, he announced that he, the kingdom of God was coming with him. The kingdom of God was present in his presence. And so that through the perfect life of Jesus Christ, through his perfect obedience to the Father, through his suffering and his dying on the cross in our place, and through his rising victoriously from the dead, Jesus was victorious over Satan and sin and death. And Jesus rescued for himself a people who would be rescued through their faith in him. And so as Christians... We are the ones who live in this world, but we have sworn our allegiance to a king in heaven, to our heavenly king. We live in this world, but our allegiance is to the true king. So now, right this minute, Jesus is truly king. When he rose from the dead, he rose in victory over all powers of sin, death, and hell, and Satan. He is victorious. He is the king. He is the rightful ruler. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, and his reign is manifest in his people primarily. So the kingdom of God is not something out there where you can drive to it. And, or take a spaceship and fly out to it and you know, park in front and walk up to the pearly gates and knock on the door and come in. The kingdom of God is not some physical location. The kingdom of God is an ever-present universal reality where Jesus is supreme, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is king. He wins. He has won. He, he owns it all. He rules it all. But that kingdom is not manifest fully in every place. So the kingdom of God is the reign of Christ as it is being worked out in the world chiefly through his people, the church. So you could say the church is like a preview of the kingdom of God. The church is in some measure more reflective of what the kingdom of God is like than the rest of the world. That's why we are, we are a witness to the world. So with that, let me give you um, a simple definition of the kingdom of God. This should be on the screen here. I saw this at a conference once, and I wrote it down, and I thought it was helpful. It says, the kingdom of God is where the Father's rule is exercised through the Son by the power of the Spirit so that it is willingly obeyed, gloriously displayed, and happily enjoyed among His people in His world. So the kingdom of God is where the Father's rule is exercised through the Son, Jesus Christ, and this is done so in the power of the Holy Spirit who is at work in the world, so that His rule is willingly obeyed, gloriously displayed, and happily enjoyed among His people in His world. Your kingdom. That's what Jesus tells us to pray for. Now He tells us to pray something about your kingdom, and He adds a word, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. And Jesus tells us that's our prayer. Our prayer is, is that the kingdom would, something would happen regarding that kingdom. And so the prayer here is that somehow the kingdom of God is to be manifest in some way. So the kingdom of God exists. It is universal. It's everywhere. But we want the kingdom of God to come, which means we want the kingdom of God to be manifest. We want something to happen to where the, the reality of the kingdom will be manifest. 
Now, normally, whenever we pray or think about the kingdom of God, we think of it in terms of growth. We think of it in terms of, well, we'll pray, God, we'll pray that your kingdom will grow or your kingdom will expand or increase or God, build your kingdom. And that's, that's not inappropriate. It's, it's fine as long as we recognize that Jesus' rule is not uh, something that can increase or decrease. Jesus' rule is, is, is universal. He is king. He rules. There's just not, not everybody doesn't submit to it, and it's not fully manifest. It hasn't always broken through. There is still disobedience and rebellion, but he has the authority to rule. So we have to recognize Jesus is already king, and Jesus already reigns. There isn't anything left on Jesus's to-do list that he has to accomplish in order for him to be able to reign. He's fully accomplished God's will. He is king now. He has all authority. And this is, this is true. We can see this in the New Testament in the way the Gospels portray the crucifixion of Christ. And in some ironic way, the crucifixion is like this coronation ceremony of a king. The crucifixion was an enthronement of a king. So just some examples here. Jesus was clothed in purple, and that is the color of kings. Jesus was beaten by the soldiers, and they cried out to him, Hail, King of the Jews, mocking him, but he truly was king. They put a crown on his head, but the crown was made out of thorns and was an instrument of suffering and abuse. And then whenever they crucified him, they posted the sign above his head that said, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. It's, it's an ironic coronation ceremony where, where the true king is being mocked in this, in this way. But at the resurrection of Jesus, his coronation is complete, his kingdom has begun, and now he does rule in power. In Matthew 28, Jesus said just before his ascension back to the Father, after he raised from the dead, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he tells his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So Jesus is king right this minute. Let me read to you a quote. This one will not be on the screen, but this is um, from G.E. Ladd. And he's talking about the, 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 the nature of the kingdom. I think it's helpful for us to understand in terms of the kingdom coming, the kingdom come. So G.E. Ladd said, the kingdom is what it is. It does not expand. It does not increase. It does not grow, but the kingdom can break in more and more. Think of, the, think of it like the sun. Whenever the clouds part on a cloudy day, we don't say the sun has grown. We say the sun has broken through. Our view of the sun has changed or obstacles to the sun have been removed, but we have not changed the sun itself. The sun does not depend on us. We do not bring the sun or act upon the sun. The sun can appear, its warmth can be felt or stifled, but the sun does not grow. That's what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is is fully accomplished. Jesus reigns now. Whenever we pray for the kingdom of God to come, we're praying that it would break in, praying that it would be more manifest than it currently is. And that can help us in our prayers. So whenever we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying to him who already has authority to rule, who has already accomplished all that needs to be accomplished. 
And so what we're asking him for is for him to exercise his authority in some way, to use his authority in the world in some way as a response to our prayers. So think of it this way. Let's say somebody um, is breaking into your house and you, you know, you're kind of locked up in a room somewhere in the house and you can hear somebody you know, breaking in. So you call the police. Now, whenever you call the police, you're assuming their authority to act. You're just telling them, I need you to come. I'm not saying, you know, you know if, does anybody there have authority? You know, just ask around maybe some of the other officers. Does anybody have authority to come? No, you're, you know they have the authority. You know they have the power. You're asking for them to use their authority, use their power in a, such a way that they can come to your aid. And so asking them, calling them, you're saying, please come. Literally, you're saying, please come, intervene and help me in this hour of need. And if you don't call the police, then they're not going to come because they, they're, they're going to come only in response to your call. Now, the analogy, of course, breaks down because God always knows our needs. And sometimes he comes to our aid even when we don't ask him to because he's a good father who loves us and he anticipates our needs and he cares for his children and he comes to our aid even when we don't ask. But clearly we see in Scripture that what Jesus desires and even commands us to do is to ask so that God's action is in response to our prayers. God wants us to ask for him to come. He has the authority. God wants to act in the world in response to the prayers of his people. So we should see in here something very hopeful. God wants us to pray. Prayer really matters. Prayer really makes a difference. God really responds to prayer. It delights the heart of God to respond to the prayers of his children. And to, to do so showing himself faithful in that way. I mean, it's speculation. I don't know if this is true or not, but it's at least conceivable that God will wait to act to prompt us to pray. And we don't know if he's doing that in any particular situation, but at least that's a reasonable thing to conclude, that God would wait for us to pray and act only in response to our prayers. Of course, he will respond at other times too, but God will do what he wants to do. You know, he is sovereign in that way, but but he desires to act on our behalf in response to our prayers. Now, that's where Luke's version ends. Your kingdom come, and Luke is he's more brief. Matthew gives us more words, and the words that Matthew gives us helps to flesh out more specifically what we're supposed to pray for. So let's, we'll keep going, and this is, uh, the rest of this is from Matthew's version. The next phrase is, your will be done. Your will be done. So your kingdom, the rule of God, your kingdom come. It's breaking through in response to our prayers. Now, your will be done. Now, your kingdom come and your will be done are set in parallel to one another. It's like they're, they, they both are, it's, it's a way of repeating a phrase using different words to amplify and clarify a meaning. So your will be done. So whenever we pray your kingdom come, we're asking God to accomplish his will on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see that? Your kingdom come, 
And then parallel to that, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So whenever God's will is accomplished on the earth, the same as it is in heaven, then his kingdom has come. That's how, his, that's how we know that his kingdom has come fully is because his will will be done. And, of course, that's what it will be in the new heavens. Whenever uh, Jesus comes back and he puts all, everything right, it will be the full manifestation of the kingdom of God. That prayer will be finally answered at the return of Christ. So until then, we're praying, Jesus, your kingdom come. Specifically, we're asking you, Jesus, may your will be done here on earth just like it is in heaven. Now, when you talk about God's will, that's, that can be confusing for us because we have a way of thinking about God's will that is not the biblical picture. So whenever we think of God's will, it's not best to think of it as uh, like God's will is, is, is like the instructions to assemble a shelf from Ikea, where you've got to follow the directions and you do it step by step and you get it exactly right, then you get the finished product. And God's will is this very specific finished product. That's not what God's will is, because God's will has a range of possibilities that we can, as free creatures, we can exercise dominion in a number of ways. We're not robots, where we just have to know, like, like a, another illustration, but like a treasure map. It's like the will of God is like a treasure map, where X marks the spot, and if you dig in the wrong hole, then your life is screwed up forever. That's not the way the will of God is. The will of God is, isn't like um, trying to get something a particular way, and if we miss it, our life is screwed up. God's will is less about making those correct decisions, and it's more about who you are becoming. The will of God is about the person you are becoming. So let's say you're thinking, Lord, should I ask out this girl or that girl? Which, Lord, which girl is your will for me? <laughs> Assuming it's one of these. Uh, Lord, which, which of these, these girls that I'm interested in is your will for me? Show me your will, Lord. Now, let's say both of them are godly women. Both of them walk with Jesus. They're faithful. Um, they, they want to obey Christ with their life. Either one could be God's will. There isn't a soulmate that God said, that's the one for you, and if you ask out the wrong girl, then your life will be trash. That's not the way it is. That's not the way it works. God's will could be a range of options. So, it's, I, I, don't, I don't want to be, I'm not mean to be crass here, but just to be blunt, God's will could include either girl in the way that you treat her, meaning that you don't mistreat her and you don't have... Uh, have sexual sin with her. That's God's will. And you're acting according to God's will in the way that you interact with her, whichever one it is. So God's will is not some secret knowledge that you're asking him to download into your brain to show you which way to go. God's will is about being godly. And you know, in the case of a girl that you're interested in, God's will is about being godly towards her specifically. Now, let me show you this from Scripture. Two examples. The first one is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And 1 Thessalonians, both of them are from this book. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. Now I want you to pay attention, careful, close attention to the words. 
Uh, here we go, verse 3. For this is the will of God. Stop there. This is the will of God. You're about to hear it. You're about to hear God's will for your life. So if you've ever wondered, God, what is your will for my life? I'm about to tell you. Are you ready? You ready to hear God's will? This is the will of God, your sanctification. That's a real fancy word for your holiness or being a godly man or woman, following Jesus. That's the will of God. But he goes on. He gives us some examples. And this is the one that I referenced earlier, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's one example of being sanctified. You abstain from sexual immorality. Number two, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do, know, who do not know God. So the first one is abstain from sexual immorality. The second one is to control your own body in holiness and honor, not the way a non-believer would that does not have those same constraints. You're constrained by your desire to honor Jesus. That's the will of God. The will of God is, is this desire within you, given you by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit, to follow Jesus in the way that you live your life. But keep going. Number three, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Notice just the way, it uses the phrase, the will of God, but notice how the will of God is spoken of. He doesn't say the will of God is for you to discover some secret information. The will of God is how you live. It is a way of being. It is, it is, a, it is a, a life of holiness and, and honoring God. Let me give you another text. This is the next chapter over, and there's eight more of them, okay? Eight more of them. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 15. Eight, things, eight more things that are God's will for you. See that, number one. No one repays anyone evil for evil. Vengeance. That's not God's will. Number two, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So one another is other Christians. Everyone is everyone. So do good. It's a, it's a, it's a life of good works. It's, it's, a, it's a, an expression of godliness to where you're, the kingdom of God is breaking in through your life and the way that you treat other people. But that's just number two. Number three, rejoice always. That's God's will for you. God, is it my will to rejoice or not rejoice? The, God's will is for you to rejoice. It's scripture. Number four, pray without ceasing. That's God's will for you. I mean, obviously you'll need to sleep, and, you know, but uh, pray all the time. That's God's will for you. That's number four. Number five, give thanks in all circumstances. This is just a list going straight through God's word. Give thanks in all circumstances. So if you're ungrateful, if, there, if there's a part of you that feels entitled or envious or jealous, the antidote to that is thanksgiving. Thank God for what you do have rather than being bitter for what you don't have. Give thanks. Oh, here, and then the, the, here's the phrase. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's where he makes it explicit. But he keeps going. Do not quench the spirit. 
Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Number eight, abstain from every form of evil. All eight of those items appear in this list that is describing the will of God. These things are in the will of God. And none of those eight things are about making big decisions. Do you notice that? None of those eight things are about making some big decision. God, you want me to buy this car or that car? Do you want me to go to this school or that school? Should I stay or should I go? Whatever it is. Whatever is on your mind. The will of God is not so much, God, give me the right answer and tell me exactly what to do. The will of God is God is trusting God and walking by faith and doing so in a way that is a reflection of godly character. Why is this important? Because God's will is for you to trust Him and to walk with Him day by day and to live your life in holiness and obedience. So generally, when we pray, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, we're asking God, for ourselves at least, to help us become more and more like Jesus. At least that's where it begins. It begins with yourself. Lord, may your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. But the next phrase shows us that it's not just about us, but there is a, there is a prayer that, that's, that expands this. It's not just for ourselves. So he says, in earth as it is in heaven. So there's, it's not just in my life as it is in heaven. That's just where it begins. But it is in the earth as it is in heaven. Now think about the scope of what Jesus is calling us to pray for here. Jesus calls us to pray for God's will to be done on earth in such a way that, it's, that it mirrors the way God's will is done in heaven where the angels surround the throne of God and they're worshiping Him night and day and they're crying out, holy, holy, and it is glorious and perfect. For God's will to be done here on this soil the same way, even to the same extent that it is done in the heavenly realm. So on the earth, that's bigger than our personal lives. That's, that's everything. It's even bigger than our church. It's the earth He's telling us to pray that this will be done on the earth. So what does that mean? I mean, it means at least this much, that we want to pray that our, our society will increasingly resemble the kingdom of God. We, want, we pray that the rule of God's kingdom and full obedience to God's will, lives of godliness and character, will become more and more universal. It's praying the Great Commission. It's praying for more people to know Jesus and more people to obey Jesus and to live lives that reflect the character of Jesus. I don't think it would be unfair to say that he's inviting us to pray, Lord, make the world Christian. So that what we experience here will, will resemble what it's like in heaven. To, to, for the kingdom of God to be made more known, for it to break through here on earth. And that's, that's not merely saving people's souls so they can go to heaven someday. We want at least that much. 
But we want God to make this world so thoroughly Christian that the whole earth is walking in this way. The whole earth is living in a way that is, that is conformed to the character of Christ, just like the angels in heaven. That's what we're praying for. Let me give you a couple um, scriptures. Well, one scripture broken up into two parts. 1 Timothy 2 talks about um, a particular way of praying for the world. And this will be in your handout for our prayer uh, a little bit later. This is 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. Paul says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for, and he gives two groups of people. First people is all people, which is all the earth. Second group of people is for kings. So these are rulers, or he says here, those who are all kings and all who are in high positions. So he's talking about people who are tasked with the governance of the world. And there's one outcome. So we have two groups of people, all people, but specifically mentioning those who are uh, in, in positions of authority. And we're praying for a particular outcome. Here's the outcome. That we, referring to Christians, that we Christians may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Godly and dignified in every way. We'll pause there for a second. Paul here is telling us to pray for a favorable set of circumstances where the gospel is preached and the church can be the church in such a way that the kingdom of God can break through through the church. And those favorable circumstances in the church, he describes as, well, we can live peaceful, quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. Basically, pray that we will live in such a society that, will, that can just let us do what we do. That's what we're called to pray for here. Now, the next two verses give us a little more detail, telling us about why we pray this way. And he says, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So it pleases God when we pray this way, but it pleases God because God's heart is in a particular place. And God's heart is for all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So if you see the connections here, it's like whenever we pray for, for government leaders and that sort of thing, um, there's all kinds of things we can pray. Um, we can pray for, you know, their policies and that sort of thing, for just policies and that. But really the aim is that the, the leaders will lead in such a way where the church can be the church, to where the church can thrive and flourish and do the things that the church is equipped uniquely to do, which is preach the gospel so that more people will hear the gospel and become Christians and enter the kingdom and have their lives conformed to the kingdom. That's how we pray. So we're called to pray for government and political leaders. So who do we pray for? President, vice president, senators, house of representatives, governors, state representatives, mayors, city council members, and the president of your homeowners association. If you lived in my neighborhood, that would be me. You could pray for me. <laughs> what do we pray for? We pray that Christians would be able to live out our faith in peace. And that we can pursue godliness and holiness. And why do we pray for it? Because God is pleased to use faithful Christians to bring more people to a saving knowledge of Jesus. 
Now, this is an ambitious prayer for homes and families and churches, neighborhoods and cities, states, nations, the world. Your kingdom come. It, it, it is manifest here. So let me just put this in crayon. We should pray that the government would allow and not hinder the church's work for the kingdom. That's a great thing to pray for. So I said earlier, we don't make the kingdom of God happen because we're not in charge of it. We're not in charge of building it, growing it, expanding it. It's already there. We just want it to break through. We want it to be manifest. And I also said the church is a preview of the kingdom. It's where the kingdom is most fully expressed. And Jesus said, I will build my church. He's the builder. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the church isn't perfect. It's fallen, right? It's full of sinful people. It's, you know, we're, we've got a lot of problems. And that's to be expected because we're, we're not in heaven yet. The kingdom of God is not fully manifest in our lives yet. But in the wisdom of God, that's a hopeful thing that God would choose to work through us to accomplish his will. So listen, just hear me on this. Jesus loves his church because she is his bride. With all of her flaws and weaknesses, the church glorifies God. So in this glorious irony, the kingdom of God breaks through through our sin and failure and weakness and struggle. And the scriptures say that God has put the light of his kingdom, of his treasure in us, though we are just jars of clay. We're broken. And he did this to display his power, not ours. To make him look good, not us. So that his glory will be, will be put on display. That's how the kingdom of God works. So whenever we pray this way, it not only summons all the powers of heaven to assist us and work through us, but praying this way also reminds us that it's not about us. And it's not our kingdom. And it's not in our strength. We're jars of clay. Weak, frail, cracked, breaking, or begging God Shine your light a little brighter through us, Lord. Shine it a little brighter. Lord, shine it even more brighter through us. More light, more truth, more gospel, more hope, more obedience to God's will. Shine that light through us, Jesus, until this whole earth becomes a little replica of the heavenly realm. That's what we're praying for, and that's what we'll pray here in a moment. Lord Jesus, your kingdom come. Your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Take a few minutes now. Uh, join, turn your chairs as, you're, as you uh, are comfortable. Use the prayer guides. And uh, Jason will come up and lead us in communion in about 10 minutes. We are Christ the King Church. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctkcincy.com.